This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. On Thursday night, Arsenal were dumped out of the Europa League in the most dramatic of fashions. Now, Arsenal fans understandably process this result in different ways. Everyone is unique. But a strange silver lining some fans appear to have found is the good news that Arsenal can now play on Saturdays again. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Declan Hart, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, I know this is something you've talked about before, so can you explain to me this weird mindset? About not being able to play on a Saturday? Yeah, but the... Like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> or the Europa League and the, the the quandary that exists. It's not necessarily the Europa League because like, it's just general. like Fans, not even just match-going fans, because I can kind of understand their perspective on it. But like just people who watch on TV, they, te- they tend to get annoyed if their team plays on a Sunday. It's like, what's the difference? Yeah, it's just more than a routine or a ritual. It's being eliminated from kind of the the fans you know it's another thing of the oh we've lost our game we've lost our we've lost the ability to enjoy football traditionally on a Saturday be part of the the conversation beyond match of the day on a Saturday it hasn't happened a lot like this goes back I remember Newcastle were the first team to complain about this under Alan Pardew when they qualified for the Europa League that season by finishing fifth it's the same sort of situation again where it's just no one wants to play on a Thursday night because it means you don't play on the Saturday. It means you kind of lose that connection with the fans that you're there every single week every or every second week at home at the 3 o'clock or whatever around that time to see the same guys play football. Now it's spread over a weekend where it means like maybe you won't be able to make the match, maybe you won't be able to watch the match if you're watching it from home, maybe it doesn't suit your schedule. And then, you know, it's kind of you feel left out of the whole conversation, of the whole talk, because they're still waiting to play. And it usually it doesn't mean, likes of Arsenal, we playing the marquee match on a Sunday at four o'clock. It's usually like the two o'clock match or the, the half one match or one of the matches that doesn't even get televised in, on normal television. And you kind of lose all of that, that buzz around your club, that buzz around you know, waiting to see what will happen. Will they be, you know, will they climb up the table? Now, instead, you're just watching a table with, like, one game fewer for your team left to play. Yeah, uh, fair. I mean, that's fair enough, I guess. I always just found it kind of strange as someone who just doesn't really care. You know, I'm going to watch those games on Sunday anyway, most likely, unless they're, like, really bad games or I'm doing something else. So Yeah, but it's not just that. It's moving them to Mondays as well or... the. I, I've seen it multiple times in the last couple of years of Europa League teams being moved to Monday night for FA Cup matches and them not being actually included in the FA Cup draw at the end. You know, it's uh, Manchester United versus Blah will be in contesting, you know, because they haven't even played their match yet because the draw is on before the match is played. And it's that kind of... You kind of lose that, that touch of class, that touch of old school football when you, when you don't have... You don't have the capability to play the same time as everybody else. It just kind of it, it and it, it, on top of everything, it makes the Sunday night or the Sunday slash Monday matches kind of mean they they're less special because you know usually if you're in one of those matches, it's a big match. Now it's just you know Burnley versus Arsenal or Manchester United versus Burnley or Burnley versus whoever. Burnley Wolves. taking a beating here in this. Uh, yeah. No, no you good know, fixtures for Burnley. 
no one wants to see that on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, because like there was actually protests there. I think it was Frankfurt in Germany had a whole section of their stadium just closed off because they were playing on Monday and they just left a banner that mm. was anti-Monday Night Football or whatever. And I, I find that kind yeah. of interesting that, like, obviously travel, like supporter for traveling, it, it can be difficult, especially if, yeah. like, it, it does often come across as they don't care that, say, Liverpool have to go down and play Southampton on a Monday. Like, that is yeah. a big Or travel. Newcastle to Brighton, which is a ridiculous trip. Exactly. Like, they will stick that on on a Monday evening, which is, you know, people have to take a day out from work if they really want to go see their team. And yeah, two days, Two days, yeah, yeah potentially. Yeah. And they maybe have to stay at a hotel overnight, which, you know, that's further cost as well, along with travel and stuff. Um, mm. If the club doesn't uh, subsidise it, which I know some clubs sometimes do when it's when it's a particularly long travel uh, in a league in, a, in an awkward league time, but like when it comes to like say, I don't know what's a club like Crystal Palace Arsenal. Like if that was on a Monday evening, like that's not the worst thing in the world. I would say for either set of supporters, like they're relatively. No, but the, the question other. asks like why? What it's why is it on Monday evening? And the answer is to satisfy you know, the television providers because they want to have a marquee program on primetime on Monday night. It's not serving the supporters. It doesn't serve the club. It doesn't serve the players that they have to kind of upset their schedule and upset their training regimes and and probably perform, underperform or kind of awkwardly adjust their whole performance levels just to make a television schedule. I know they pay for everything and, and that's, that can't be understated. But it kind of just, it's a slap in the face to the kind of, normal supporter in these cases like I know it it doesn't really matter everyone gets over it you ju- you don't have to travel to the matches you don't have to watch the matches but it kind of makes the whole experience less familial and less kind of enjoyable I think to the traditional fan yeah like obviously I, I'm in favour of it being easier for supporters to get to matches because I, I don't think there should ever be uh, barriers put in place for team for fans to be able to get to their uh, teams no matter where the occasion is on or whatever the game is but I don't know it always, like for fans that just watch it on TV it's always come off, come across as weird like oh thank god they're playing Saturday this week or whatever like it doesn't actually yeah. really affect you unless it's a particular weekend in which you have something on on a Sunday or something that you can't watch it, yeah. it just seems a bit weird is all um, it is it's not, it, but when you when you Football. We often forget that football is a kind of, uh, as I said, a familial part of people's lives. And with everything changing and everything in flux all the time, it's nice to have some constants in there. And I think until very recently, the three p.m. kickoff on a Saturday afternoon was one of those relative constants. You know, you always have aberrations to it. You'd always have the big matches on in different days or different times. But now it's become the situation where there's only actually a couple of matches on at three o'clock on a Saturday. And it's kind of disheartening to the traditional football fan because that was the time to watch football and now it isn't. Uh, well, the big news out of the Europa League round of 32 was uh, Arsenal being knocked out by Olympiacos on away goals, losing 2-1 at the Emirates after extra time. So what does this result mean now for Arsenal and Mikel Arteta? It doesn't change a great deal for Mikel Arteta. I think I... Like... I think they're very. They would be very disappointed in their performance. They would be very disappointed in the fact that they lost the match and the way they lost the match on away goals. They would be disappointed in the fact that it was Olympiacos and it wasn't necessarily like Inter or Manchester United or you know one of the teams left in the competition that is higher coefficient. Um, Arsenal were the, the highest ranked team left in the tournament, so they were technically the 
while not the favourite to be up in the group of the favourites and to get eliminated of 32 to, at the last 32 is kind of a humiliation on their club front they're out of European football currently their league position is what 10th so they're a good bit away from actually qualifying for Europe next season so this could be a trip you know the last European night at the Emirates for quite some time um, but for Mikel Arteta I don't think it changes a great deal I don't think he really would have had much realistic aspirations to win the Europa League this season I think it would have been an absolute bonus and I think it would have been you know and you know something to strive for and something to aim for but it's not something he would have expected it's not like oh we have that in the bag bag all we have to do is win the last few matches you know the the quarterfinal semi-final and then we have to just beat whoever we play in the final and we're in the Champions League again I don't think he ever thought like that I think he's a pragmatist despite his optimism in a lot of cases but it, it has to be very disappointing for him I think the performance in itself was uh, was what how would you say it it was probably um symptomatic of the way arteta's play has had his team playing since he took over in december arsenal have about 20 25 minutes of very good football where they dominate a team they outplay the team really they create chances their finishing hasn't been up to scratch really apart from Aubameyang who who scored a lot of goals but the rest of the match then is a kind of you're looking at them like okay where's the creativity coming from this team where is the structure coming for in this team? Where's the grit and defensive organisation coming from in this team? And a lot of that doesn't exist. And I think that's a lot down to the playing personnel that are currently at the club. And if anything, the defeat will actually accelerate the uh, departure of a lot of those players who probably aren't necessarily up to the, the, the level of football that Arteta wants to play, or at least the speed and the pace of football he wants to play. Yeah, this is the kind of result that uh, kind of immediately makes everyone think, okay, this is where's their summer looking now? Like it, it kind of just makes everyone right off to the end of their season, and you know, we're, like it was the uh, Aubameyang who actually had that chance right at the end that he missed, which is very uncharacteristic of him, and and the look on his face, like it, it's rare to see a player so distraught after missing a chance. Such was the importance of the chance, I guess. Um, but it just well, very likely he could leave the club now. Exactly like that. Yeah. That just poses the question: Is he distraught because he knows? Well, that's probably his time at Arsenal done now. Uh, then there's other players there, uh, like uh, Lacazette as well. High-profile players like Ozil as well. Like there, they, those two didn't play particularly well in this game. They didn't really contribute much going forward. They didn't help uh, Aubameyang in kind of easing the burden off him. Like it has been a case this season where Bumiang's very much carrying Arsenal's back and it's just the the weight got too much in this one moment and it kind of all fell apart for Arsenal and it, it's obviously hard to blame Bumiang for missing while it was an easy chance and you would expect him to hit it uh, I was very surprised as I was watching it that it didn't go in it's very hard yeah. to blame him for the fact that they've been eliminated uh, so it just leaves the question like it's it's more a question of who would take these players now. Like, can anyone actually come in and take these players and do Arsenal that favor, or will Arsenal be stuck with these players? Because like we have seen in the last couple of years, it is it is actually more difficult than you think to shed players out of a team. Like Manchester United have struggled with it a lot over the last couple of years, and a lot of that is down to wages. And uh, Ozil yeah. is one of those players on a big wage packet at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see 
do someone does someone come in and kind of save Arsenal there because it seems like his time at the club is over. Uh, Lacazette as well, like he's not on as big a wages. I could see someone coming in for Lacazette, like even maybe Atletico coming in for him. Uh, yeah, he's still only 27, 28. Exactly, think, so. like so, yeah. like he was initially linked with Atletico. It looked like he was going to Atletico, and then they got that transfer ban, and he ended up at Arsenal instead. So maybe it will be a case of Atletico finally get their man or something. And yeah, like it just is like I think Lacazette is a good player, but I just think he's not playing well, and a lot of it I think is down to the fact that he doesn't really want to be there anymore. And, uh, you know, a fresh start for both Arsenal and Lacazette seems like the right thing in the summer. Uh, And, you know, it'll be good for Arsenal really to sell these players, even though they are some of the best players, some of the best talents at the club, just so that they can get some funds in and they can actually bring in people who kind of want to be there or players that maybe fit Arteta's system a bit better. Uh, Let Arteta kind of mould the team in, in his liking. Uh, so it's a very interesting uh, summer ahead for Arsenal. Unfortunately, they still have a few months before the summer gets here. It is only March now. Mm. Uh, they still have about 10 Premier League games to go. They have an FA Cup they're still in for now anyway. They play Portsmouth on Monday. Uh, I saw a thing that if they lose to Portsmouth, which I know is unlikely, but if they lose to Portsmouth, they have to pay fans uh, the sum of like £4.5 million pounds because of uh, season ticket promises not being able to be met. <coughs> uh, okay. And it was also... A case this week where Arsenal announced a loss of twenty seven point one million pounds, which is down from a fifty five million profit the year before. Uh, yeah. So you know the hit of not being in the Champions League is is affecting <coughs> the club now. It'll be like it, it, it just goes to show like they do need to sell to be able to buy in the summer because even last summer going into it, it was a case of lowering expectations. You know the funds aren't there to bring in players, and then they came out and they spent eighty million on Nicolas Pepe. And the talk at the time was they've pretty much spent the next two, three summer budgets on that one signing. And while yeah. I think Pepe does have a lot of promise, he's not really shown it as much this season. So it's a big ask for him again next season as well. If they don't bring in anyone, that he has to show uh, his talent, like he has to step up even more. So. There's a lot to work with there for Arteta. Like he's got a lot on his hands, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good challenge, I think, really for for his credentials. Obviously, he is unproven. He's only been an assistant up to now, uh, but he, I suppose, the silver lining is he's got a bit of a free hit now. He can kind of experiment. Like they're not gonna finish in the top four. They might scrape fifth if they're lucky, uh, but then it's a big question of does fifth end up getting that Champions League place? But I think it, it's an outside chance for Arsenal, and they need to just focus on finishing not sixth or seventh like i think they need to either finish above that or below that i feel like getting your open league next season would be a bad thing really uh although it might sound uh bad for the people that go to the matches every week that you know obviously they want to be playing in europe the open league is a backdoor into the Champions league but just maybe having that I mean, extra few days training a few days rest every week yeah maybe, could be maybe what they need to actually get back into the Champions league it does provide a. I think Arsenal already had made about twenty five million because they are one of the most televised clubs in the Europa League when they're there and internationally and in, across Europe. So they had made a bit of money, not a huge, obviously not the Champions League level money at all, but they had made twenty five million. I think this season already from the Europa League. So it would be a hit if they didn't get any type of European football next season. Uh, so we have to wait and see on that one. The yeah, I know what you're saying about selling off a lot of players. Aubameyang I think he's proven I know he's 31 but in this day and age I think 31 isn't that old for centre forward I think uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, Robert Lewandowski the, um, Aubameyang himself have all shown that if you look after yourself and which I believe 
he does very well. I think he, he still has a few more years left in the tank and he's a clever he's becoming more of a clever player as he grows older as well and using more of his natural attributes rather than just his electric pace that he had at the start of his career. So I do think there could be a marker for him. Lacazette, as you said, he's still in a sellable age. I think it I wouldn't rule out the possibility of Pepe being, you know, being written off and sold on at a at a slight loss, probably fifty million ish, because he is still a promising player. He still had a very good spell at Lille and has shown glimpses of the ability he has this season. If you remember the match against Liverpool earlier in the season, he he did show how good he could be in a one on one situation or in a you know. And he's done it in the Europa League as well, scoring two free kicks. Similarly, in crunch moments, he can pull it out. He hasn't really done it any other time this season. But I think there would still be a market there for him. I don't know if they'll be able to do that, but I think that that could well be likely. I, I, I find it unlikely that they'll get rid of Oz unless they cancel his contract. He would be entering into his last season, so that is a possibility. They could just take the hit, cancel a year left on the contract and let him go and get rid of the problem. Uh, and then the Europa League draw was made on Friday. You haven't seen it yet, so I'm just going to nope. throw out some of the interesting ties. The Manchi Derby uh, between Sevilla and Roma could be fun. Uh, uh, I suppose Roma little... need to get out of the Europa League and focus on Serie A. They're, they're just outside the Champions League places, and it is possible for them to, to catch Atalanta. So I, I think they'll be. I think I'd back Sevilla in that one, definitely. Uh, there's an interesting one as well between Inch Milan and Getafe another Serie A against La Liga match the two the two teams again Getafe could do it because they did Ajax and it was you know that was unexpected at the time and we all know the Italian clubs and their relationship with the Europa League in the last 10 or 15 years so I think it would be good for Inter and good for Conte if he was to put together a European run but I could easily see Getafe doing it again yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting, interesting one because it was a nice contrast in style between Ajax and Getafe. It was a good contrast in style as well for Getafe and less so Ajax, who were furious yeah. uh, uh, throughout the two legs. But now we're seeing two styles kind of very similar to each other, clash against each other. Uh, but I suppose it might come down to the apathy that Conte and Inter kind of show for the Europa League. Uh, so I, I would actually back Getafe. Yeah, if, they're, if they have a realistic challenge at the league, if they've a re- if they've realistic challenge at the league, it serves no purpose still being in the Europa League for Inter. Uh, Rangers, Stephen Ra- Stephen Gerrard's Rangers are going to Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, I can't see Bayer Leverkusen losing that. To be honest, I know Gerrard's got Rangers playing this season. They've just got knocked out of the Scottish Cup. Gerrard's very doomsday whenever he speaks about after a defeat but yeah he sounded very downtrodden on the whole team's chances of getting anything out of this season so I'd say that's probably music to Bayer Leverkusen's ears and I wouldn't expect Rangers to put up a huge fight in that match uh, Manchester United were drawn with Lask I think they pronounce they're Austrian uh, they're, they are first yeah, time at last 16 uh, that's a Manchester United victory yeah we just moving on uh, and then just the last one I'm going to look at is Olympiacos their reward for beating Arsenal is another English team they play Wolves yeah and I can't see Olympiacos pulling it off again they were good at times against Arsenal they have some good players uh, their left side especially is quite good they have a solid keeper solid defend, defensive partnership with Ba and Cisse but uh, yeah they're I don't see Wolves throwing this one away, not when the the chance of actual, if not silverware, but getting a fire in a European competition for the first time in 50 years is actually there for them. I just find it funny that Olympiacos are like, there's like a magnet that draws them towards English clubs. Like they drew Tottenham in the Champions League, they drew Burnley last year. Feels like they always play Arsenal. 
whenever yeah. they're both in the same competition. Like it's just weird. Like what are the what's the what are the actual odds that are happening so many times in a row? I wonder. It's as if it's fixed. Potentially, uh, and then just finally in the last sixteen of the Champions League, we're halfway through the first egg ties. Uh, where do you think they all stand now? Uh, any surprise results or anything? <clears throat> well, them like Real Madrid really did show up exactly as I would have expected them to, and that was not very much. Sergio Ramos is out for that second leg against Man City now after they lost the first leg two one, and I really can't see past Man City taking that away now because Real Madrid will need a a good victory away at the Etihad against a strong Man City side who know that victory, a historic victory is in their grasp. And if they can get to the quarterfinals or beyond beating a large team along the way, I think it'll be a huge boost in their confidence, particularly since, you know, they're kind of solid now in second place in the Premier League. They don't really have anything to worry about in that side of things. They have silverware of their own as well already this season, so they have that winning appetite about them. They can go straight through and charge towards the Champions League and try and make a go at it before they're potential ban for the next two years yeah and the other result as well I suppose and the one that I, I suppose both of us were surprised at was Leon beating Juventus 1-0 in, in that match just because we both wrote off uh, Leon yeah. so emphatically yeah, yeah. Uh, I I can't like it kind of came out of nothing but Sarri is very capable of it this Juventus side as I saw last season that wasn't even under Sarri they are capable of losing matches uh, they did in the first leg against Atletico. I, d- I wouldn't rule them out entirely. The only thing that could come into play with this is the fact that the the return leg will likely get played behind closed doors in Turin if it, if, it, if, it, if it even is played in Turin. It could be played in a neutral venue, which will play right into Leon's hands. And effectively, they'll have an, a, a, not an away game, but and not quite a home game, but something that's pretty handy for them to be chasing away goals in. Yeah, like there, there's as well. I, I, I didn't hear if this was confirmed yet or not, but there's reports that three Juventus players actually are suffering from the coronavirus at the moment. So, oh dear. Um, obviously, that's not good for anybody. No, it's not. But uh, the names obviously weren't put out. I, I, I didn't see the club confirm this or not, so I don't know if this is true. But I, I saw just people reporting about it on Twitter. Uh, so you know, take that for what you will. I suppose. Uh, Twitter isn't always the most reliable source of information. But if this game does go ahead, and it, it probably would be behind closed doors, as you say, so it would be, uh, it would be a weird one. Like when was the last time a knockout Champions League game happened behind closed doors? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember either. <clears throat> it's happened. Inter have got a few bans. I think their Lazio did. Maybe Lazio in like two thousand and one. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I can't, might have I had can't one, remember. but that was the second group stage, perhaps. Maybe not the proper knockout stages there's definitely um, been group stage matches I remember it was a Shakhtar Donetsk against Manchester City uh, a few years yeah. ago uh, and they're always weird to watch Zenit matches Zenit St. Petersburg I think got one as well yeah uh, obviously a bunch and of Serie A games uh, were yeah. postponed this weekend including the Derby d'Italia which we thought might happen last week uh, mm. didn't go ahead I think it was five games postponed um, and five went ahead so Serie A is in a bit of a weird spot now where they will have to play catch up with a bunch of games late in the season uh, especially such a big game as uh, yeah. Inter against Juve. Uh, it means Lazio are top of the league for now as well, which I suppose they'll enjoy while they, while they can. Uh, yeah, two if points they, clear. If they don't, yeah, if they don't go ahead and actually do it in the end, it'll be interesting. I suppose it's got the psychological edge that they are top of the league. Might uh, might play into their hands. It might, end up, it might end up ruining them. Who knows? It'll be interesting <laughs> to see as well. It will. Uh, uh, and then there was the Barcelona-Napoli game as well. I thought it was fun. Napoli kind of really showed up in that game Barcelona weren't up to much it was just 
one nice passage of play that uh, got Griezmann the goal. And obviously, Arturo Vidal got one of the best red cards I've ever seen. Did you see that one? <laughs> Describe it to us there. Uh, so what happened was there, it was a bit of a nasty game, I would say, or at least late on it got a bit nasty. There were a few tackles flying around the place. Arturo Vidal tackled a Napoli player. I can't remember which one. I, and then immediately got up and got into a clash of heads with, I think, Zielinski. Uh, mm. It was some Napoli player, you know, they didn't headbutt each other or anything, but it was just one of those, like, handbags, face-to-face, kind of, like, squaring up to each other things. And so uh, I think it was Felix Birch, the German referee, kind of calmed things down a bit. And then he went up to the Napoli player, gave them a yellow card, then he gave Arturo Vidal a yellow card. And then you, you, at that moment you think, oh, he's gotten away with it. They've uh, they both just got the classic yellow card thing. Except then yeah. Felix Birch then... Shows the yellow card to Vidal again, and he gets a red card. In the space of two seconds, he gets two yellow cards, and he's off, and he's out of the second leg, along with Sergio Busquets. Uh, Jared Piquet yeah. uh, went off injured as well. I think I think he walked back on, but he had a he had an injury they were looking at as well. Uh, they might not actually have eleven players to field in the second leg of the way they're going. They have a lot of injuries at the moment. Yeah, uh, but if they have Messi, you have to remember that. Like Messi could carry a lot of things. He's done it in the past, and he could do it again at least against Napoli. I still wouldn't. I still would back uh, Barca to get through in this round. Yeah, their their or the record at the Camp Nou is uh, is incredible in Europe. So I'd be very surprised if anyone beats them there between now and yeah. the end of the season in the European Cup. I will love it if we beat them. 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 You just kill me, could you at least do that? I wanna know your name. I will love it if we beat them. I better yet stay never just do that. I will love it if we beat them. 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 I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something. He went down in my estimation when he said that. And he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, 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 I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Despite the bad result on Thursday evening, there was some good news for Arsenal this week. Liverpool's unbeaten Premier League run has come to an end at 44 games, a whole five off Arsenal's Invincibles run. How significant a result was this for Liverpool and how significant is the Invincibles achievement now? Well, I think the Invincibles achievement remains the same what it was, no team in the Premier League era. If you want to just limit it to that, you can go back to the 1890s if you want to look at Preston's 10-match unbeaten run that they had in that season in 1891, I think it was. Uh... I think that remains intact and as far as Liverpool are concerned it's good and bad for them it's good in the way that now they're free from that burden of everyone watching their matches waiting is this the one they're going to drop points in is this the one they're going to lose in now they don't have that they don't have that 
kind of pressure to perform every single Premier League match and to keep the winning streak because I think the winning streak, if, if anything, was was more of a burden on them than the actual undefeated streak because it really was putting pressure on them every single week. If if the time ticked beyond a half an hour into the match and they weren't winning, people started getting worried and people, you know, it it kind of transmitted to the players on the field and the mistakes started to happen. Now they're free of that kind of. They're they're free of all of that now, and they can kind of as as Jurgen Klopp said afterwards, we're trying to put a a, a happy face and everything. That now they're 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 free to kind of express themselves and to roll in and win the rest of the you know, win the last few matches probably of the season that they that they need to win and kind of coast the rest of them as needed and come out with a, a league title for the first time in thirty years because. I was even looking at the table. They're on seventy nine points, and it's the you know that was still in February when they made it to seventy nine points. They would have won nearly half the Premier League titles that have been contested so far with that points tally. Yeah, like uh, obviously the winning run has been spectacular, and with with any kind of run that like this, it does require a bit of luck. Like uh, obviously you can look at the Invincibles. Like there was the. Robert Perez uh, dive against Portsmouth in, what was it, the second game? Yeah. Like obviously, you know, you need those kind of things to go in your favour, to go on these long runs. No one is good enough to just go unbeaten without a bit of yeah. luck going their way. Uh, so Liverpool ha- had ridden that luck pretty well, but, you know, obviously they were valued for their, what, 20-odd win- winning st- game winning streak or something ridiculous like that. I don't know, it was like quite 20 games. Um, but that was... It was it was an incredible run. I think we'll remember it uh, as the years go on. Like obviously, we remember the Invincibles of 0304 because they went the whole season unbeaten. You know, we remember uh, Mourinho's first Chelsea team because they only conceded 15 goals. Manchester City, I suppose, we remembered for reaching 100 points. Obviously, the treble as well at Man United. Uh, like these teams get remembered. I, I imagine this won't stop this Liverpool team being remembered like they you know I, I think legacy does matter to people uh, yeah. people involved at least like I think it matters to Klopp certainly uh, he mentioned recently uh, you know he was asked about his Dortmund team and the, the importance of records and he said oh you know the records I made at Dortmund didn't matter because they were broken a year later anyway by Guardiola yeah. and Yopankes as well I guess uh, so like I think I think maybe that uh, I think that actually maybe irks him a little uh, and now he gets to kind of set his own records, and I do think it would be kind of poetic for him to b- break Guardiola's record of 100 points if they get to 101 or whatever, uh, which they're still on track to do. Obviously, they only need what 30 more, po- 20, 22 more points to beat yeah, that. Yeah, they need what seven uh, odd wins, matches. seven no, seven seven wins from yeah. ten games. Yeah, that's doable. Uh, and I'll, I'll, then on the other side of it, it you know the pressure, it is off them. They can just kind of coast. Uh, for the rest of the season like they don't have to think oh yeah we have to not lose this game so we can match this one random statistic Arsenal managed to pull off in 2003-2004 or Preston in the 1800s so like I think like obviously it's good and bad but ultimately it's meaningless because well Liverpool have wrapped up the league which I think is the most important thing for them like it would take them losing pretty much every game for the rest of the season for them to not to Win the league, which I think uh, I don't think is going to happen. Yeah, I don't think that's. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it matter. It matters that much. Like records are what you make of them. If you if you want to believe in them, you want to put a lot of st- uh, a lot of substance into them. You can, and if you don't want to, you don't have to either. I I just think they they would have liked to have claimed the record. It is a very impressive record. It would be up there with some of the 
some of the greatest in world football, I'd imagine, because this season, especially given the, how the rest of the table is, everyone can beat everyone else and Liverpool are that way that they're so far ahead of everyone else that staying unbeaten and keeping that winning record going would have been something to look back on in, in 40, 50 years. Like, p- people still talk about Nottingham Forest getting that 42-game unbeaten run when they won the league uh, in 79. And... You know, there, there's still talk of the Milan one, less so of other ones that have happened. Like Perugia won't finish second, I believe, in the league and were undefeated in 1978. But uh, apparently that's well, be, more fondly remembered in Perugia than any of their other triumphs they've ever had. So, you know, there d- there's different courses, different well, different horses for different courses. You know, it, it depends on what you value. And I think Arsenal can be proud of what they achieved and can you know have a sigh of relief that they're you know one of the the few accomplishments they still have going for them wasn't uh wasn't was kind of preserved in the same week that they went out of europe and had a have a pretty tumultuous season but at the same time liverpool can be resolute in the fact that they're going to win the league for the first time in 30 years they're going to be probably near there thereabouts getting a, a record points tally they're going to be there thereabouts of being you know known as well remembered as a as as a great team because they have won the European Cup on top of it. So, yeah, it it's I think it, it it's a bittersweet ending for this uh, Liverpool run, but uh, I think they can live with it and move on to the next week. Yeah, obviously it then ended up devolving to tedious Twitter arguments, and it just kind of reminded me of uh, tennis. Actually, you know, there's the whole. Uh, argument I suppose amongst tennis fans uh, as to who is the greatest tennis player of all time with the uh, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and Novak Djokovic, and it just kind of reminded me of like, like it is a similar debate, like oh, what is the greatest achievement in English football, or who is the best team? Yeah. Like it's just who's the best player? You know, like, it doesn't matter. It's a team game. Yeah, you, like, it, you, you yeah, can have arguments like for these, everything. Yeah, these these achievements, like you know, the importance of them and with, like the ranking of them, like ultimately it doesn't actually matter. Like you know, like. Who's your favorite tennis player? Oh, I like Roger Federer. I think he's the greatest. Oh yeah, fair enough. I think Novak Djokovic is the greatest. Yeah. Like you know, it's just we we we've all we're all set in stone in our ways at this point. Like, yeah. They're not gonna. There's no point. It's not anything that's actually important that we can debate. Like it's not climate change. Well, you don't debate climate change, but like <laughs> yeah, you know, like there, there are more important things to actually debate. And especially when we can see like teams like Manchester City and Paris and Iran kind of come in and steamroll football with their their billions. <laughs> but it just uh, like. It just, I, I find it funny that it also happened in the same week the Sky actually did. Uh, you were telling me about a some, t- uh, was it on Monday Night Football? Yeah, or Monday something? Night Football. They, they basically they did, did the their... best, the best league English league champions, and I think they came at Liverpool. They, one of the, I think it was nineteen eighty Liverpool team. They decided were the best. They had all the the big hitters in there. That Chelsea team you mentioned, the Arsenal, Invincibles, Man United teams of the nineties, basically, and the Man United team that won three in a row in the with Cristiano Ronaldo they're all involved in that list not force were as well and it's kind of as you know you get a lot of recency bias people saying this Liverpool side's the best team ever but you know it's all opinion it's all people like to comment on things people like to chat people like to pass remarks and stuff and sometimes there's a case I think with this Liverpool record being broken this week or being ended rather this week, you kind of have to like, well, is this the right time to be really passing a comment on a side, you know, like either crying over, over spilt milk, which it is because Liverpool are still going to win the league or the flip side of it, crying over or celebrating over maintaining a record. That is just a record. It's something written in a book, nothing more. It's not a living, breathing thing. Yeah. Like there aren't really facts to this kind of debate or anything. It's just pure 
emotion yeah. involved, which makes it you know, like obviously it can be a bit fun as long as it's all in good spirit of like, oh no, I thought this team was better than that team or whatever. But ultimately, it is uh, about the trophies the teams win. And for Liverpool, winning their first league title in 30 years is actually a blow to Arsenal, I think, because now. Obviously, for the last 10, 15 years, it has been about, well, Liverpool haven't won the title in X amount of years. Yeah. Now it's, well, Arsenal haven't won the league in 15 years, and that's going to be the the kind of narrative of the, the next while until they do eventually well, win Well, yeah, I but then they can always comfort themselves in saying it's been six years since Spurs last won a league title. Yeah, I suppose Arsenal do always have the, the comfort of being able to, no matter how low Arsenal sink, they can always Point to Spurs. just laugh at Tottenham. Yeah. yeah. his chances oh brilliant goal a brilliant goal remember the name Wayne Rooney for some reason there's FA Cup games on this this week uh, which seems bizarre to me that's it that's our FA Cup coverage uh, next week in the Premier League though we've got a Manchester Derby to look forward to uh, and a bit of an interesting Sunday overall I would say in the top four race Chelsea play Everton as well uh, so how do you see the Manchester Derby going the, the Manchester Derby I see going one way and that's Man City victory uh, saying that, because that's my what's my head speaking. But then there's that there's that bit in the back of my head that look at you know the second leg of the the Carling Cup uh, or the Carabao Cup semi final that United actually won the match earlier in the season that basically has kept Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in his job. Um, those did came, come completely out of the blue, completely out of form. But uh can United do it again? I'm not I'm not sure if they can. They're playing the Thursday against Derby as well, which is uh, you know, Wayne Rooney's return to Old Trafford and all that sort of stuff. Will Solskjaer put out a reserve team in that match so they make sure they'll have a game against Man City on Sunday or will he go all guns blazing for the FA Cup and then put out, you know, have a tired team for Sunday and just get dismantled by City? It, it's a couple of tough decisions that Solskjaer has to be made this week. The other, the only other mitigating circumstance I, I point ahead of the next week is, is there going to be an impact of the coronavirus on these Premier League matches? Because as things are going and the virus is spreading through Europe, is there a chance that the cancellations we've seen in in Italy, the mention of perhaps like PSG Dortmund match being uh, held behind closed doors, for instance, was one that was uh, I heard from the PSG camp anyway during the week. Is there a chance that any of these Premier League matches, including a Manchester Derby, could be held behind closed doors or even postponed altogether and further congesting a very limited... Because we only have, what, three months before the European Championships has to start? Yeah, it starts in June, I believe. Yeah, so we, they have to get these matches done, get the FA Cup done, get the Champions League done before that. And it's already going to be quite tight so can they afford to have any of these matches called off so will they will we get to see out what you were describing earlier in the show about the Champions League and see a Manchester Derby an empty is it at the Etihad this time uh, this one will be on at Old Trafford so will we see an empty Old Trafford host a Manchester Derby that'll be in, a, in the Premier League well that that'll be a an interesting sight if we get to see it yeah one thing I've just thought of there is due to the fact that it will be because of a, a health uh, safety precaution would there be insurance on match day revenue the clubs will miss out on these these matches you know or I suppose we'll find out I guess I imagine the Premier League itself probably has uh, has things for it and I imagine there will be some form of uh, remittance given to the season ticket holders at the very least and probably the, the standard general admission ticket holders as well so there is probably some kind of arrangements made in the event of something like this happening like the 
generally if if a match can't be held for safety reasons or because the likes of the weather being too harsh around the ground they generally just call off the whole match so usually they don't have the option of playing behind closed doors but because the, in theory you could put it on a TV camera no one legitimately could lose out if you do have it behind closed doors and given that the coronavirus restrictions could last up to two weeks and there isn't you know two weeks then would be what 12 weeks away from the European Championships less 10 weeks away from the European Championships you'd have to get at least how many fixtures done 14 roughly fixtures including the FA Cup ties done before then it'll be tough yeah like obviously it's you know it's unprecedented really in terms of affecting sporting events something like this happening uh so it is going to be interesting just to see what 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 plans people have kind of had in place in the event of something like this ever happening uh and yeah that that's one fast like i literally just thought of it there like it will be interesting to see like what kind of insurance plans these clubs have and yeah these organizations have on these on these type of events because you know a lot of money is being missed out here uh on various events that are being cancelled like i imagine you are missing out on a, a good but a match day revenue this evening by not having that match on yeah. today although maybe they'll be able to play that in front of a full stadium later in the season who knows uh yeah. But for a match that go get closed behind closed doors, rather, uh, that'll be interesting. Um, in terms of the actual match itself, uh, the match to Derby lately has actually gone against the home team, I've noticed. Yeah. Like, uh, in the League Cup itself, even, it did that. Manchester United lost at Old Trafford, but won at the Etihad. They won at the... Man United won at the Etihad earlier this season. Uh, last last couple of seasons, they've been winning at the Etihad, but not at Old Trafford. Like, I can't remember the last time Man United beat Manchester City at Old Trafford. I think it was when Lou Van Hal was in charge uh, in the league anyway. I know that Jose Mourinho beat them at the in the League Cup in a pretty nothing match back in 2016. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 again, yeah, again, I would put Man, Man City as the favourites in this match, uh, regardless of whatever happens in the FA Cup. Uh, Man City play Wednesday as well against Sheffield Wednesday, I think. So, like, Man City don't have a huge amount to actually play for in the league, whereas Man United arguably have a bit more in the league to oh, play yeah. for anyway. So maybe that will affect things. Man United have been playing a bit better lately with Bruno Fernandes in the side, but still yeah. not nearly at Man City's level. Uh, obviously, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has had a pretty decent record against the big teams, but Man City just still fancy they're the better team. They just beat Real Madrid. Uh, they also had that match in the Carabao Cup where they played uh, a four-four-two with like two false nines. Kevin De Bruyne up top. That was a bit of a weird, uh, weird tactic that paid dividends pretty well in that match. I think they won that what three-one, three-nil or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see does Pep go with that again. He did it against Real Madrid as well, uh, which brought out a lot of people with the whole Pep's overthink overthought it. Uh, opinion again so that was and he actually won for once when he's supposedly overthought it so that was that was a fun little nugget um but it'll be interesting to see does he go with that again or is it a bit more of a classic 4-3-3 obviously they won the the Carabao Cup itself uh against Aston Villa uh, on Sunday so they they've got that bit of a bounce I suppose um I, that's obviously the biggest game of the weekend there's also Chelsea Everton and then I think potentially the worst game of the season Burnley against Tottenham yeah, on the first match on Chelsea Everton, I think Carlo was due a big victory at this point. He he was unlucky not to get a result against Arsenal. He was even more unlucky not to get a result against Manchester United with a last minute goal chalked off. Um, I did get presume, sent off in that game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I presume he's going to be banned from the touchline for this. But given how without beating Manchester United, 
he absolutely schooled Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of the you know the ad- adaptation of football that was on show. He noticed Solskjaer was changing the way teams were the team was playing, and he completely changed the entire structure of the Everton side. He he made them all press right from the top across a, a, a straight uh, four midfield. And two following forwards up up ahead of them, like it was a completely different way to the way Everton have been playing in recent weeks. And he did it just to switch up the game. And from then on, Everton were on were on top. I can see him doing something very similar to to Chelsea. Uh, uh, on paper, a superior side, you would say, with more experienced players. But with Carlo, you, you, he is a, a supreme manager and a tactician, and he probably will do something very similar against Frank Lampard. And I can see Chelsea losing or at least dropping points yet again. And we'll see the uh, return of big Duncan Ferguson again, presumably uh, on the touchline as yeah. the, as the head figure, as opposed to just an assistant. So uh, yeah, big he'll be Dunk- back out of the tracksuit and he'll be back in the shirt and he, no uh, jacket. He, he got the better of Frank Lampard earlier in the season as well, so uh, could be could be a league double over Chelsea for Everton, yeah. which I can't remember the last time they've done that as well. So that would be a good achievement for them in a pretty dire season otherwise. Yeah, well, I think the best achievement they've got this season is getting Carlo Ancelotti, to be quite honest. But yeah, I think that's a good season for any team of Everton's ilk. Uh, the other match then, the the Spurs Burnley is, um, you know, it, it does sound like a pretty horrid match. But saying that, I have a feeling that Sean Dyke will do his old boss uh, Jose a favour in this, and maybe given that Burnley are just about safe at this point, or you know, they're not going to be caught by anybody else. They're they're basically secure at the earliest point they could have been. And they're going to be riding out the rest of the season pretty tamely, I'd imagine. And I think that will start against uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And I think Spurs will get a much-needed uh, relief and get a victory out of this one before probably another couple of defeats because they're coming up against a bit of a, a fixture congestion in the next few weeks. Yeah, obviously they lost to Wolves uh, this weekend despite leading 1-0 and 2-1 in that game. So that was a bit of a bitter mm-hmm. blow in their top four hopes as well considering it was a top four rival in Wolves. <laughs> not, things not going according to plan for Jose Mourinho in the last uh, last few weeks. No, and it's just been through pure chance that no one has managed to overhaul Spurs. Same as, as uh, not Everton, as Chelsea. That despite their poor form, they're basically where exactly where they were when they started out. Uh you know they're in that group of what I think there's there's three points separating four places. I want to maybe five places there in the mid table. I, I think it's a five point gap between fourth and eighth. But uh, Sheffield United didn't play this weekend, so yeah, know, they they were supposed to play Villa, but obviously Villa were uh, committed to the League Cup final instead. Uh, yeah, understandably. So uh, who knows how that game could have gone? For all we know, Sheffield United could have won that. It'd be uh, a much smaller gap. Yeah, but and and I think. Bar, bar the rest of the teams in that in that group kind of getting their act together. I think Spurs will still be there or thereabouts come the end of the season, which is kind of uh, unfortunate for any lovers of football out there. But fortunate for Jose Mourinho, and I suppose Tottenham fans as well if they count. Well, if they want the best of their club in the medium term to long term, they would want rid of Jose Mourinho. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. About, I don't know. Do Spurs fans really agree with that? The cult of Mourinho uh, remains strong as ever for whatever reason bizarre yeah it's really he's truly a great salesman if nothing else mm. uh that'll do us for this week's episode uh we'll be back again next week with hopefully games to talk about and not uh both of us locked up in uh 
in our in rooms. isolation. Yeah, in isolation. Hey, it, it could make a really, really long podcast. <laughs> Got nothing else to do. Let's talk about football for uh, 14 hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so hopefully everyone will be uh, fit and healthy to go again next weekend. Yeah. If we are locked for coronavirus, we'll do an audio commentary of Mike Bassetting, the manager. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. I haven't yeah. seen that since I watched it the first time. I think. That's, good times, good times. It's a great movie, like you know. It is. It is true. England will be playing. Four four two. Yeah. Uh, so that'll do us for this week. Uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services including Spotify by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.